0: It is the middle of February. It is six weeks in, maybe, into this wild year of 2022. And, uh, you know, we've been talking about NFTs a lot lately, I feel like. NFT, NFT, NFT. We have NFT conversations coming up later in the show. But about William Shatner's teeth. William Shatner's teeth. 22 is a mess. If I have to buy William Shatner's teeth... To put my son through college, i, I got to come up with a better game plan. <laughs> but this is how it's going. We're right, going to talk about that later.
1: We're, we're, the, so it's um, Friday afternoon on the 18th of February. Um, just coming up for – just off, gone hot bus three in the afternoon. We've got a heck of a wind blowing through. I mean, not because I ate some – had a curry last night. But we you know, we got 120-mile-an-hour wind. Um, off of the Isle of Wight, little, little island off of southern England, 120 miles an hour. We've got trees down. It's beautiful and sunny, but there's some huge gusts.
0: Um, Does that physically blow away your Mini Coopers?
1: I, I think it could do. Last last night, there were pictures on the TV, of huge, great, big um, articulated lorries, and literally just being blown straight over. Um, you know, they had, um, well, you know, trains have been cancelled planes have had to do circles around heathrow because you know they were um, they couldn't land so there's nothing intangible about that there were no nothing funny it was ab- absolute wind not non tangible wind
0: non tangible wind <laughs> <laughs> i see what you do there <laughs> um, the fact that your internet is up is a win in infrastructure because we can't keep our internet going in the us on a nice <laughs> calm day <laughs> The entire state of Georgia lost internet this week because of one company with one data center. I'm just saying.
1: Just goes to show the disadvantage of centralization and the if you had a decentralized blockchain enabled um, national
0: grid system in the the state, then you'd have been fine and dandy. I would have clipped my haircut NFT coupon, went out, got a haircut, flipped the bill over to OpenSea, and I would have been done. Or via SMS. Well, there you go.
1: There you go. But this okay, so James, this week um in on the digital bike show, we, we've we've got articles in this week's edition looking at how DeFi um may challenge the ETF sector. So decentralized finance challenging exchange traded funds. Um we've got a the, the the third in the article. You remember last week we had James Moffat um talking to us. Um and right, right. his third article is is crypto the antidote to the west ills and a shot in the arm for the economy? Um so interesting article there. Um one of one of my one of my favorites was fascinating how Bitcoin miners claim they can generate um cryptos um and improve their ESG credentials, um, which we'll come on to. And then finally um after the break we've got um uh Thane forbes coming on to talk about the thorny issue of valuing nfts and, and that's where we get into um star trek and good old william shatner's teeth um and an nft we made of an x-ray of his teeth so that that's coming up after the break so um yeah good to be back on the air with you james and uh, that's what we got
0: lined up in this week's digital fights now i think that um I don't know what you like to talk about, but I watched the Super Bowl this past week, and uh, you know we had nineteen or so different crypto commercials, and wow. it's funny because you've never seen so many crypto commercials in America mainstream television before like that. But if it was not a crypto commercial, it was an electronic vehicle commercial, an EV. Wow! So. You you talked about with Bitcoin miners talked about their ESG and probably going to be talking about footprints. I found it ironic that football, American football, you know, the hardcore naughty sport where we beat each other, we're pushing crypto and green energy, crypto, <laughs> more green energy. I felt like it was counterproductive. Yep. So it sounds to me like you're going to teach me why it wasn't. Well... Yeah, so, so it, it's, it's interesting.
1: I, I, was, I was talking to actually a, a very, very big US um, forensic investigation company um, this week on, on some stuff that we're doing them. Um, and they were saying, well, what we really need to do, Johnny, we need to educate our staff in order that we can educate our clients um, about how blockchain technology is being used Um, how and where digital assets and cryptos, you know, uh, where they have a place, if they have a place. And I said, well, the trouble is it's not that easy. And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, it's not a matter of educating. It's a matter of re-educating. Because, as you say, on mainstream TV, you know, crypto.com is a classic example. They've just paid a hundred million dollars for the next 10 years sponsorship of a Formula One um, meeting in, in the States. You know, on top of that, they That's paid right. four hundred million for was it Staples Arena, the Los Angeles one? Um, recently? I think it was early late last year. That was so their this, first move, right? Yeah, so huge amounts of money being laid out, and people are getting very exposed to this. You know, in this country, um, I, I was actually talking to my mother last night, and, and she was saying, "Oh, I'm always hearing something about Bitcoin, Johnny, on the radio," and and they were talking about blockchain in the fashion industry, so, you know, and I'm thinking. Hang on, mum, you're 87. What are you doing? And she said, but it's it's there all the time. And it it is slowly creeping into our everyday vernacular and conversation. And one of the issues is, is that people very often say, oh, yeah, Bitcoin, blockchain, Ponzi scheme. Um, oh, and the trouble is with Bitcoin is that it uses, you know, more more power um, than, than certain countries. and And at an absolute level, Absolutely right. The in order to maintain you know the Bitcoin blockchain, which is um you know the, the, the granddaddy, if you like, of, of cryptocurrencies, and it still dominates in terms of a market cap being sort of over 40 percent of the entire capitalization of the sector. Um, it does use a lot of energy, but because it uses so much energy, bitcoin miners either people that actually create the bitcoins. I think it was it six and a quarter bitcoins every 15 minutes, 24 hours a day seven days a week are being made so that it won't be till 2140 that actually 21 million bitcoins will finally be produced. So what they need is a source of cheap energy. And and, and that took us to look at Norway Um, and, you know, with all the problems that we've had um, with fuel prices and all the uncertainty, um, unfortunately, with, um, you know, will Russia, won't Russia, you know, go and invade. Um, Ukraine. And, you know, how does that impact on someone like Norway? Um, and the reason we looked at Norway is because Norway actually runs pretty much 99% of its energy needs come from renewable energy. Um, and um, it, it, it's, you know, particularly hydroelectricity, which um, is something like 95% of all of Norway's energy um, requirements come from hydroelectricity. Um, and then the West, the rest are coming from um wind power and they actually export as a country over 52 billion dollars worth of oil and gas and these are last year's figures so with oil price having gone up currently trading around about 90 bucks a barrel you know, norway's probably reasonably happy because you know they're, they're oil that their oil they export they're getting even more from um and that account well it did last year account about nine 48 uh, percent the entire of norway's exports and then we, we were look at this company called Crypto Vault, which is Norway's largest Bitcoin miner. And it uses its energy source is 100 percent renewable. Um, but it's not just they're using renewable energy, as regular listeners will be familiar when you're mining I like creating and running the algorithms to actually um, be successful in, in obtaining these 6.25 Bitcoins every 15 minutes. The computers generate a huge amount of heat and, and they have been locating these mining operations in very cold places like sort of um, like Norway or like um, uh, Iceland, because that way you need less air conditioning because you just open up the windows, whereas um, otherwise you could have air conditioning to actually keep the rigs cool. And what they've been doing in Norway is using a surplus heat from this mining and then drying seaweed and drying logs. And then the seaweed and the logs then get, get burnt um, and that creates steam and the steam drives a turbine and the turbine creates more electricity. So, so that was an interesting, I thought, example of how you're seeing, you know, Bitcoins there you're being, you're being produced and actually not only out of renewable energy, but the surplus heat being used to then create more energy. And, and then we looked at another company um, based in the States. Um, and this company is called Giga energy solutions and a, and a couple of young lads in their mid-twenties, um, you know, been looking at um, the nodding donkeys, you know, the, 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 the uh, gasoline or the oil being pumped out of the ground in America. And then you see these flares because when they're actually pumping out oil, very often they'll hit a, uh, a reserve of gas and they, they, they've got to flare off the gas. And many of us have, have seen that, I'm sure, in different countries. And they say, well, hang on, why don't we tap that gas? Don't burn it and then pipe it down back onto the ground, stick in a little gas turbine um, electricity generator, and then use the electricity to Bitcoin mine. And according to the uh, Denver-based research energy systems called Crusoe, they reckon that results in a reduction of 63% reduction in um, CO2 emissions. And over the last year, these two guys have managed to um, you know, actually generate over $4 million worth of, of Bitcoins from a source of energy which would have literally gone up in smoke, just g- gas flaring. So um, just two examples of, of, of the way in which the Bitcoin Mining Council, they're working to be net zero in terms of the electricity consumption coming from, sort of reno- from fossil fuels, by 2030, which is only eight years away. So what they're saying is that we believe that our members will be able to generate Bitcoins and, and, and other, other types of mining for other types of cryptocurrencies in a far more ecological and friendly way um, than many
0: people's um, current perception is. So that, that, was, that was kind of what the article was trying to run through. Yeah, Leave it to a couple of kids in Texas to come up with a turbocharger from a car. <laughs> To mine yep. in Bitcoin, right? Let's just yep. recirculate the exhaust back into a combustible, and then make a Bitcoin mining. Genius, really. It's good to see it's going that way.
1: Yeah, really. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was, um, I thought it was inter- in, interesting on, on, on that sort of basis. Um, and, and, and again, in this week's uh, Digital Bytes, and I, we did talk about this last week, but there was a, 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 a really great picture um, in um, the article that James Moffat did is Crypto the Antidote to the West ills and, and the picture shows this 14th century um, chest um, you know, that actually would have, would have kept um, in, in the 14th century um, all the charters and financial documentation and information and the civic documents and valuables and the city seals. And what this safe or what this big sort of um, trunk really has which is relevant to sort of digital assets, is it has four locks. So they have, um, sorry, six locks. And each one of those locks had a separate key and they were held by individual key holders, which in today's digital terms, that's really a multi-sig wallet. Um, and yeah. again, talking to one of the big uh, county firms um, in Europe earlier this week in, in, in Amsterdam, and we were talking about the potential vulnerability of custody firms. Because at the moment, in the banking and the asset management industry, in order to protect your assets, the fund manager or the bank typically hands the assets over to a third party to make sure that the, you know, the assets are held you know, arm's length, so to speak. But if we have multi-sig accounts, then rather than you handing your assets to you know, some like BNP or Northern Trust or HSBC, you know, these these big custody companies, rather than them one person, why couldn't you have a situation where the custody is held on a multi-sig basis? I, there's four or five people um, that actually have to basically agree, or a majority of three out of five have to agree to unlock the asset and pass it when, I don't know, Goldman sells... Um, Tesla shares to, um, I don't know, Fidelity, for example. So at the moment, rather than the BNP or I don't know, Northern Trust or State Street actually transferring those assets from one place to another, maybe we're going to see a smart contract being run and it'll be a multi-sig and the money will be able to be transferred the assets transferred much, much faster and cheaper and less liability for any one individual custody, which is one point, which hopefully could well mean a lower absolute cost for the provision of custody
0: services. So that threw you a curve didn't it, James? Yeah, that, that really uh, was no shatting your teeth involved, but <laughs> you know, I, I was thinking so too much up. about, for some reason, and I'll edit this. <laughs> I was thinking about the nuclear war thing where the guys have to put the two keys yeah. together to launch the nuke. That that's would you consider that the same amount of trust, or trustless? Well, it's it's trustless because you don't want to trust
1: one person. So I, I yeah, don't edit it. Just leave it in there, because okay. then they can hear us ramble on. But no, it, it's no, it's true. It, you know, you're not going to rely on one system, one procedure, and and it, you know it goes back in a very simplistic terms to, about your haircut. You know, you're reliant on one source of energy. Um, and you right. know, if that power supply goes down, then, you know, we are so reliant on electricity in our day to day lives in, in, in the Western world. Um, you know, I know you've got listeners all over the world and, you know, some some people will be listening to this radio show, I'm sure, on solar panelled, solar powered radios or, or their phone is is fired up by, you know, something like that. But we take it for granted that we just turn on the power and um you know or plug something in and we're always going to have power and and that's got to be one of the big disadvantages of us increasingly becoming digitized because our reliance on power and energy and electricity is just increasing more and more and more and and it goes back to your electric car thing if if we're all online and if we're all in electric vehicles well what happens vis-a-vis you know the power needs that we need, it's, it's, it's a big issue, big issue. So what they want to do is be able to track that power and that energy using things like blockchain. So companies can say, we are absolutely certain, guaranteed. This is where our energy sources come from. And we are, you know,
0: for our ESG and our green credentials. Right. And then, you know, ever since I bought the EV, I noticed that like social media, like Facebook and Twitter, are constantly pushing on me solar power uh, generators, like actual power inverters. And they show you like guys charging their car in the woods, right? And eventually, is is that something that we could do? Maybe where you take the Bitcoin mining equipment, like you said, in Norway, and uh, maybe you mine, you know, 800 satoshis while you're camping plugged into your tesla or something like that yeah
1: well you know it's we're certainly we're seeing we're seeing the efficiency of um of of mining rigs getting better and better we're seeing the efficiency of solar panels getting better and better so the so we're using less energy but creating more of it
0: and we're not Um, putting trust into the utility company in in that particular case yeah so the green energy is also kind of becoming trustless yes the yeah. way you're putting it,
1: yeah, no, it is very, very, very much so. And but, but, but it's interesting. This just, just going back to this whole energy thing. Um, w- one of the things that um, again regular readers will be familiar with. This. We, we, um, we're interested in looking at the sort of the macroeconomic um, situation. I, what's happening with money supply, interest rates, inflation, but we also look at the prices of not just commodities but the price of moving commodities around the world and um, we look at something called the baltic exchange which um based here in the uk but it it tracks the cost of moving containers and bits and pieces around And, and one of the statistics that they show um or track is the cost of um european carbon credits and we've seen almost a 200% price increase in carbon credits and the reason for that is that because oil and gas prices have gone up so much it's now cheaper to actually start burning more coal in europe and because they're burning coal part of the you know eu rules and regulations is that yeah you can burn coal but you've got to then buy carbon credits to offset your carbon footprint. So there's been lots of lots of power generators going out and buying these carbon credits, which has forced the price up of carbon credits by nearly 200%. So yeah, it yeah, seems again, counterproductive going back that best. power and electricity thing, we're, we're very, very reliant on it.
0: Yeah, and it it's almost a counter productivity there that that could be a whole show probably.
2: Because <laughs> you also Hello. brought about
0: in the other article about Wyoming recognizing DAOs, you know, with the LLCs. Yeah. And I just, I'm going to say, let's talk more close to about your one, that. Say that again? You're getting close to your one. I know you've been doing a lot of work on a DAO um, for, for the radio station. The Cyber FM, the DL Pro DAO uh, is up and running, but we did make an immediate decision uh, to further enhance that with going to Wyoming. So I think we should discuss these links that are very valuable in this week's letter uh maybe when i have more experience and personal experience that we could discuss
1: yeah well i know we've got we're, we're trying to line up a,
0: a a lawyer who's a
1: bit of a bit of a hot shot a bit of a specialist in with, with Dows and some of the legal considerations and um, yeah. i know you've been in discussion with him so hopefully in a couple of weeks we'll um, we'll get him on the air and um you know give him a give him a good grilling maybe he bought william shatner's teeth maybe he's that guy that bought them
0: if not, I'll have to use William Shatner's teeth to motivate him to come work for us more. <laughs> what to bite into? Digital bites. I've got William Shatner's teeth.
1: <laughs> okay, so as I say coming up after the break, um, we got Thane Forbes, and he he's going to be talking about um, some of the, some of the challenges of, of valuing non fungible tokens. Um, and in the meantime, if if anyone wants a copy of Digital Bytes, it's a weekly publication that we send out literally all over the world um, in english and also translated into chinese and it's sent um all across um the asia um, via we via wechat because in a number of com- companies you or countries you can't get emails you but you can send it via sort of wechat so we, we do that so just contact either james at cyber.fm or myself johnny fry um, we're both on linkedin and we would be delighted for free just to send you a copy of Um, what we talk about. And whilst whilst we're doing a little bit tongue-in-cheek and we you know try and have a bit of fun while we're talking, everything we produce is completely verified. We have lots and lots of hyperlinks, which takes you to publications, websites, um, Singapore, Strait Times, CNBC, Le Monde, BBC, Forbes, lots and lots of different um, publications. So if you want to then read a bit further into some of the things we're talking about, then um, it's literally there at, at, at a click of a button, and you're very welcome to receive a copy. But uh, we better we better sort of uh, move on, and um, we'll uh, we'll be back on after the break to talk to, uh, to talk to Thane.
0: James, yay, accounting! I'm always interested in accounting, especially during tax season. Absolutely, I don't want to pay the taxman too much money, do you? No, no.
1: All right, we'll be back after the break. Thank you. Want to have fun? The next time you're in a computer store, set all the laptops to cyber.fm. Go ahead, turn them up real loud. And if the salesperson gets angry, tell them, we told you it was okay. This is
0: cyber.fm. Hey guys, we're back. I got Johnny Fry over here. Brought another guy over. We were talking about Thane Forbes. He's a director over at uh, Intangible Business Limited. And if you read the article this week, it had to do about valuing NFTs. So, Johnny, you're better at that than I am. Tell everybody about Thane's genius around NFTs.
1: Well, I'm, I'm not going to steal Thane's thunder, but um, yeah, welcome, welcome back to um, the second part of this week's show. Um, and, and really pleased. i um, been talking to Thane for, oh, blimey Thane, must be at least four or five years. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm pleased to come on the show today because you're not normally in your day-to-day job um, involved really with blockchain technology or with digital assets which is I think is actually a good thing because it means that you're not peddling anything and saying well they're good or bad or different but but you've, you your, your business has been involved in the valuation of intangible assets and we were talking about um, this and you phoned up and you said look you've been approached with someone that was looking at giving a price on sort of non-fungible tokens and and that kind of led to various things. And I said, well, it'd be great for you to write an article. But before we get into this week's article of the thorny issue of valuing non-fungible tokens, it'd be great just to get a, a bit of feel for your background and, you know, your normal day job of what is an intangible asset and why they're so difficult normally to value.
2: OK, sure. Thanks, Tommy. Um I'm a, an intangible asset is really any asset that doesn't have physical form or substance. So... It can either be intellectual property, which is sort of legal rights, like trademark patents and copyright, or it can be more intangible, sort of along the lines of goodwill or customer relationships. Um, and uh, these or, need or to be a br- Or a brand, they're, they're, they're like Coca-Cola, that's
1: obviously worth something in the name, isn't it?
2: Yeah, a brand like Coca-Cola is worth a huge amount. Um, and in that in that instance, most of the brand value resides in the trademark, which protects the rights and and protects the name. Okay. Dope. Yeah. So they they need to be valued for a variety of reasons. Um, sometimes when they're transacted, sometimes for accounting purposes, sometimes for tax purposes, and for dispute resolution and other business development reasons. You know. So. Um, And probably the biggest stream of work out there now is by most of the large accounting firms who are rationalizing corporate deals and breaking out the amount that they they think should be attributed to intangible assets, which are mostly brands and customer relationships. Right, right.
0: So we're not talking Mm -hmm. about like speculative pricing. We're talking about, you know, this item has a value of X. And so that's what the NFT should be valued?
2: Um, I think in terms of intangible assets more generally, they are hugely valuable and typically more valuable in a lot of businesses than, say, the more tangible assets of, um, say, for example, real estate or, um, or, or stocks or shares or cash even. Um, and putting a a value on it is difficult. But what I would say is that it's it's better to, if you need to put a value on it, it's better to do carry out some kind of analysis that gives you an informed conclusion. Now turning to NFTs, they are clearly a form of intangible asset because they give rights to whatever it is they're linked to, say the work of art, both in terms of copying it, and there are certain rights and obligations under the associated contracts so so as a form of intellectual property i can see that these are likely to need at some stage some kind of analysis that helps inform a value for certain purposes and as a form of intellectual property i think it would uh, logically fit under the framework for doing that
1: okay so then in in the good old days when we made things um you know you know ford motor company for example Um, the the accountants would value the business based on its physical assets. So it might be, you know, it's work in progress, it's finished stock of cars. Maybe it's got a whole stack of, you know, steel out the back and rubber tires uh, and the factory, the office, etc. They were very tangible and fairly indisputable, arguably. Um, You know, this is the value of those and we can look and feel and touch them. But as we move more and more in a digital environment and we've moved more to a service economy, um, that's where values are. It's difficult to touch and feel them. And that's where this intangibility comes from, because as as we touch touch on with Coca-Cola, for example, um, okay, Coca-Cola has, um, you know, some, some stock and it has factories and things like that. But but a lot of its value, a lot of its brand value is tied up in this you know, how much it is coke worth compared to, I don't know, Pepsi, for example, or seven up or, or whatever it may well be. And so in relation to non-tangible, sorry, non-fungible tokens, there is this element of you can't really touch and feel them because it's a digital representation, as you say, of a of a picture, of a song, of a movie script. Um, you know, it, it's giving you rights, but how do you therefore value that? Because we've got some non-fungible tokens which are valued for, you know, maybe. 10 or 20 pounds, dollars, yen, Swiss franc, and some are valued at hundreds of thousands. How does
2: that work then? Well, I think um, if you try and put some kind of valuation framework around it, that might help you assess a value. It's not necessarily going to determine it, but the typical ways of looking at value of any asset, in fact, is to look at the future cash flows that the asset would generate. That's one way of looking at it. Another way of of looking at it is to to compare it with other assets, to to make some kind of comparison. Um, And those are the two main ways in which you might carry out analysis of an NFT. It's not going to tell you whether it's $100 or (laughs) $200,000. Yeah, that's right. I mean, because they they are assets that fluctuate pretty substantially. But... um, if there is a need for a discussion about what is driving the uh, the value of the asset this or the nft this would put a framework around, around it and would enable some kind of discussion to be had as to where its value might reside or how much that might be or what drives it
1: okay so so obviously non-fungible tokens it's a relatively new asset class so presumably as you know if we were to fast forward say in 5 years time um, there'll be many tens of thousands of non-fungible tokens that will have been issued. Um, and, and indeed, we're already seeing the, the sale of secondhand non-fungible tokens. I I've bought one originally from the artist and then you come along and buy it off of me. So your, your one is called a secondary sale. As we start building up, if you like, a track record a database,
0: then it gives us
1: more information to be able to have a better feeling or assessment for what a non-fungible token would be worth because there's, there's lots of other examples of what's happening in the market. It is it, 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 Would that be true?
2: Yeah, that would be the the second method, which is saying, okay, we've got this NFT here. What other transactions in NFTs can we compare it with? Um, we, and it might even be the same NFT prior transactions in that. You'll have problems making that comparison because NFTs are each unique so you'll never find one which is the same and you may find difficulty in finding out data on transaction values but um i think once you get used to looking for these sorts of things something would it would be possible to find and you can still go back and say okay what cash flows is an nft likely to to generate to its owner which is quite a good Sort of back to basics principle of
1: valuation right but but a lot of these okay so if i've got a non-fungible token or a collection of them and and then i i then charge people to come into my virtual gallery and you know going forward i'm sure we're going to see this year in the metaverse then we can say well okay but that collection of nfts um is, is generating some some income um, and that income, then some sort of discount of cash flow, and we've got. We, we can then start valuing or applying some sort of value based on something like that, presumably. Then.
2: Yeah, I think so. Um, and most valuations that are grounded in um, estimates of future cash flows do at least sort of match up with the basic economic premise of value. Once you start to get disconnected from that. Um, then that just raises questions as to how real the disconnect is. Right.
1: So so very much rely on good old-fashioned accounting and the skills that you've used for years for valuing normal, let's say, um, intangible assets and, and things, as we've talked about, like, like brands and trademarks and things like that. And you're using those same basic tools to be able to now value this new asset class by the sound of things.
2: I think there's a bit more to it than that. I think you have to... Really, first of all, understand the rights of the asset, which will be partly sort of commercial and legal input. You'll also have to understand the market in which these assets will be deployed. And then after that, um, hopefully, that will throw out um, some information on future or past or future cash flows and market comparables. I think the accounting side of it is not really aimed at what their value is. It's more about recording the historic costs associated with assets and sometimes putting together financial forecasts based on a number of assumptions. Um, So uh, if you look at a, a typical set of accounts these days, that's not a statement of value of any of the assets really, except perhaps with the exception of freehold properties. Um, And even that is still um, depreciated. So it's more a question of the balance sheet and the set of accounts basically represents the costs which have not yet been written off. That's the way in which the accounting profession generally looks at um, accounting for uh, business cash flows and transactions.
1: Right, but but presumably this whole notion of value is very important because, in the event of a takeover of a company, or in the event of say a death for inheritance tax purposes, or a divorce, you, you've got to you've got to be able to know well what is what is the value of the assets held by the entity in order then to have some idea in terms of the apportionment and settlement things like that.
0: Presumably,
2: yeah. When it when it comes to um, the acquisition of a business, the Accounting for it is still based on the estimated cost of that acquisition, and then allocating it to the underlying assets. And there's been a recognition um, for some time that in many acquisitions, the main um, the main asset acquired is that acquired are intangible assets like brands and customer relationships, and goodwill, which has a sort of a um, Definition, which is peculiar to the accounting profession, they they tend to justify residual goodwill, which is essentially the balance of the purchase price of a business that can't be um, tied allocated. down. <laughs> yeah. So they either say it's intangible assets that don't meet the recognition criteria, like for example the people in the business. Yeah. Or it's essentially an overpayment, which is um, represented well arguably an overpayment which is represented by synergies they expect to make on acquisition so so yes there is a certain amount of allocation of value on the acquisition of a business some of which ends up in intangible assets okay but but to my mind it's it's quite limited and then going forward it's it's only ever marked down it's not marked up so So, again, it sort of comes back to the basic principle that a set of accounts is is transaction-based and it's based on the principle that all transactions basically are costs so far as buying assets are concerned. Then the intention is to write off those costs. Okay, and in
1: in the sort of accounting world and, you know, when when obviously there's, there's specialists, forums and and publications um, that deal with this whole subject of intangible assets because um, it is a very important part now of of um, our society and certainly business. are you beginning to see questions and and discussions around the valuation of non fungible tokens then um is that something that you're beginning to see common and people discussing and trying to um, you know like like this come to come to some sort of terms and consensus with their valuations then
2: yeah I think nfts are Becoming um, quite topical at the moment, and I've certainly been asked questions by people about how would you go about valuing them, and um, having sort of a, uh, my my answer to that is that that I would put a framework around it, which is the same as I would with any intangible asset, or indeed any tangible asset as well. Going back to fundamental accounting sorry, valuation principles. And, and there is a body called the International Valuation Standards Council that is oh. promulgating valuation standards rather than accounting standards with right. a view to making them more rigorous and more consistent. Got it. And so so that, that has really taken over as the main source for valuation standards. It's a bit like the Red Book of for the um, foreign institution of chartered surveyors here in the in the UK. Right, okay.
1: Well, James, are you any the wiser how to value your your growing NFT collection or is it all as clear as mud for you?
0: Well, the way I see it, I figure um, William Shatner, you guys talked about in the article, you know, his teeth, the x-ray of his teeth sold for like X amount, whatever it was. And I fully anticipate William Shatner outliving Betty White. Right, So let's say 30 years from now, William Shatner finally goes up to the great Trek in the sky, right? Yep. Do we assume that the future resale value of his teeth in the NFT format will be worth more to the fans of Star Trek as opposed to now, in which case the future cash flow is valued at uh, uh, an algorithm like X? Do I put that in my books that way?
2: Um, yeah, that's a really tricky question to answer looking that far ahead. But I suppose the first question is, is why would you be valuing that asset? I assume you're talking about it because you're looking at the estate that he's left behind and wanting to value it. And you may want to value it for different reasons. One for inheritance tax, or another reason might be simply um, for allocation to different beneficiaries. Um, but either way, in 30 years time, so far as his teeth are concerned, mm. you should have a history of past transactions, which I think is always something that people tend to ground themselves more in when it comes to valuation. It's more uh, concrete. And then there may be more comparisons with other people's sort of equivalent assets. It's other bent- people's Nashers yeah other people's teeth
0: yeah i I feel like we need to explain that we uh not only do we not believe or recommend that his teeth will go up in value i also don't believe that he will live to be 130 years old (laughs) oh brilliant
1: okay so so thing i know there's going to be some people out there who you know have have got non-fungible tokens and um, or maybe in time that they're going to have a have a need to have someone like you help them with some sort of valuation for for different reasons. As we say, it might be commercial, it might be personal, um, sort of death, divorce or whatever. Uh, how, how do people get hold of you are, are, are on LinkedIn? Is that the best place? Or
2: um, Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn where you can just stick my name in to Google and should come up with me. Or you can go to my company website, which is www.intangiblebusiness.com so i'm not too difficult to find
1: brilliant okay well look, thank you very much for coming on the show thanks for your article um as i say not it's not not a clear definitive you know it's very difficult with intangible assets to say it is definitely worth x because you know that it by its very nature it is intangible so um hence the sort of need for sort of specialist skills from a, from a company like yourself but so yeah, thank thank you very much. But but James, that's that's a, that's another show, another another episode over for this week. Um, been good talking again. And uh, before we go, any any final thoughts? Or you're you're going to go and see? I think you ought to go and brush your teeth, and maybe your your could be worth a bit more money. Um,
0: but by tomorrow morning. By tomorrow morning, I will uh, be. I will be. Maybe I just cut my hair. You know that my hair is now only shoulder length. Yeah, have you hang on? Have you paid
1: for your haircut? Because last time you sent me a WhatsApp saying you'd had another power outage and you, your mobile wallet wasn't able to work. Did did you manage to get?
0: Did you pay them? You know, it's funny. The third world country that I live in, Georgia, <laughs> U.S., the entire internet went out in the entire state <laughs> for whatever reason, and it made the news. You could Google it. So I'm sitting here, and I'm like. I've got my hair cut. I don't have to pay. I should just go. Like, how do you stop me? And I swear to you, you can't make this up. The lady looked at me and goes, you could open up your Bitcoin wallet and send it to me via QR. You're kidding. I was like, I love you.
1: (laughs) Oh, I hope she'd been listening to the digital bite show. That's, that's why she knew you, you had your bit. You're
0: all loaded up with Bitcoin. Then she's a secret fan stalking me. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Okay. All right. Well, that's brilliant. We'll we'll be back on the air next week. But thank you for joining us this week. And um, yeah, look forward to another edition of Digital Bytes next week brought to you by Cyber.fm. Thank you.